Hello and welcome to Nobody's Perfect, the place to acknowledge that we all make mistakes, but the key, of course, is to figure it out and how to learn from them, whether they be our own or others. For localjobnetwork.com radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. You know, efficiency is one of those buzzwords we hear in the workplace, and while there may be tremendous value in it, it's also important to handle it with care and understand the pros and cons of trying to attain it. Our guest today argues that businesses maybe need to stop worrying so much about efficiency, or at least adjust some of their thoughts about it. Joining us from Northern California is Ron Baker, founder of Verisage Institute. Ron, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Before we get into sort of the, the meat of the subject, give the listeners idea of sort of your background, your experience, and what you're currently doing with, uh, with Verisage Institute. Okay, I'm a recovering CPA, basically, which means <laughs> couldn't, couldn't pass it again. I started my life in a big eight accounting firm back in uh, the 80s in San Francisco, and uh, then I left there and started my own firm, and then I started to teach and write books, and uh, that journey took me to find, founding the Verisage Institute, which is a think tank dedicated to helping all professionals uh, basically become knowledge firms because we live in a knowledge economy, and so that's kind of what that's what Verisage does. So this is this whole efficiency effectiveness debate is something that we're very passionate about because we believe knowledge workers need to be effective more than they need to be efficient. Yeah, and that's obviously a big reason we came to you and with the background with that, and you, you also you know, wrote an article on that subject. So first of all, really to get an understanding of this term efficiency, what is the essence of that in business? The conventional wisdom, I think, you'll hear something like this. Efficiency means doing things right whereas effectiveness is doing the right things. Hmm. And that's not, that's not correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> efficiency is simply a metric. It's a ratio. Sure. It's always a measurement. It's outputs divided by inputs somehow. So it's really nothing more than a mindless metric. And a lot of measurements can be quite mindless unless you plot, apply human judgment to them. For instance, I can prove to you mathematically that everybody on average in the world has one testicle. Now, mathematically, I'm absolutely precise. Uh, if, as a human, I'm a complete idiot if I believe that. <laughs> so, efficiency, so my definition of efficiency is it's merely just a ratio. It's just a ratio, it's just a mindless metric, and it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish and how much you're willing to pay, mm -hmm. which determines whether or not uh, you're really being efficient because what really counts is effectiveness, doing the right thing. Because if you think about it, Tim, we can be efficient at doing the wrong thing. Right. That, that's why I don't like the definition that efficiency is uh, doing things right. That's not true. There's no quote unquote one right way to swing a golf club. I mean, Lee Trevino had a very uh, unorthodox golf swing and yet he was very effective as a professional golfer, won a lot of tours. Uh, if you're a Hogan's Heroes devotee, you know, the TV show, Colonel Clink had a, a perfect efficiency rating in Stalock 13, <laughs> but he wasn't very effective. His efficiency rating, 100%, nobody escaped, right? But he wasn't at all effective. You're, uh, I have to admit, you're throwing me off with these examples here. Uh, it, I, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, when, when we try to get back into that idea, you, you know, this idea between efficiency and effectiveness, then is one automatically going to be sacrificed for another? I mean, I would guess in a perfect world, everything comes together in, in, in perfect harmony. But 
does one get sacrificed if you focus on efficiency? Does effectiveness automatically fall off? How does that relationship work in your mind? Yeah, now, you know, I do believe to some extent they are mutually exclusive. Uh, now, no doubt that I think if you become more effective over time, you're, you're going to become almost part and parcel more efficient. Mm. But <laughs> there's no such thing as generic efficiency because it's all wrapped up in what your purposes and your objectives are and how much you're willing to pay. Our automobiles aren't efficient. Most of the time they sit idle. Right? right, but when we want to go somewhere, we get in on them and drive. They're incredibly effective. Mm. So we're willing to pay for the inefficiency. We're willing to pay for SUVs because we need more space, and yet they're less efficient, whether it's fuel or whatever. So the two, I believe, are mutually exclusive because again, you can be efficient at doing the wrong thing, mm. and there's nothing more useless than that. I think the, the automobile examples are, are really perfect in trying to give people that illustration because I, sometimes I think it is hard to wrap your mind around these definitions and ideas. When we talk about efficiency and, and this idea that it really has jumped to the forefront in a lot of cases, is there a particular reason for that? I mean, you mentioned the metrics and you know the idea of statistics, that sort of thing. I mean, is that a big reason because there's tangible this is it versus effectiveness, which, as you mentioned, it takes thought. It takes a process. I mean, what is really at the heart of efficiency jumping to the forefront? That is a fantastic question because I, I think if you look at it, uh, efficiency is always a measurement, as we say, and effectiveness is always a judgment. And I believe a lot of business people are scared to death of judgment. Hmm. They want something uh, that they can hang their hat on. They want precision. You know, we always say, look, I'd rather be approximately right rather than precisely wrong. <laughs> and I think that's one of the problems with my, my old profession, uh, accountants. We'd rather be a pro uh, precisely wrong rather than approximately right. We love measurements. Sure. Uh, we've been infatuated with measuring things. This goes back to the 16th century that uh, there was a, a, a word coined in the 16th century, uh, pantometry which meant universal measurement. And we've been counting things ever since. You know, one billion hamburgers sold by McDonald's and how, how, many, how, many, how much gallons of Coke do we consume in a year? And, and then, of course, you had Frederick Taylor and the whole scientific management movement. And if there are two words that don't go together, like jum jumbo shrimp or military intelligence, it's scientific management. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> that management is not a science, and it's certainly not scientific. I mean, Frederick Taylor was one of the biggest frauds because it, you know none of his none of his experiments can be replicated, and efficiency wasn't the only thing that mattered in a business. Effectiveness is much more important. I love that you're coming out swinging with this, and that, that's why I wanted to have you on because I could tell you you have a passion towards this, and definitely appreciate it. Um, now, you know, we talk about the idea of, of metrics, and you said this the counting, and it's it is it, it feels good to be able to see a number and that sort of thing. But you argue that, you know, the focus on effectiveness really then gets ignored to some extent. Is there a reason for that, that we, do we, we don't really have to let go of that it, just because we have numbers? It, there should be some sort of relation or, or using it to, to work together. So why is it? Is it just easier? Is it just quicker? What, what's your take? Yeah, it's a, a, another great question. I, I do believe measurement uh, and this quest for counting and measuring things and this whole, you know, what you can measure, you can manage, it crowds out judgment. It crowds out intuition. Uh, w whether you use the one testicle example, let me give you another one. I mean, when, when a sheep is born, 
our, our GDP, our per capita GDP goes up in the country. And oh, look, we're more prosperous. prosperous. But when a baby is born, per capita GDP goes down. Hmm. Well, the measurement's completely stupid. I mean, my friend right. sent me a picture when he had a, his baby and him and his wife in the hospital smiling with the newborn son. And I sent him an email and said, Ed, why are you so happy? Your per capita income just <laughs> decreased by one third. You know, and, and the, the, the metric misses the joy of parenthood. And, and that's why it's so mindless unless you're using human judgment and wisdom and applying it to these measurements. One thing that I noted, actually, after I, I'd kind of given you this idea and um, sort of the questions, I had saw seen that you had written about the difference in efficiency and effectiveness and part of this being the idea of cost reduction versus an increase in output or quality. Can you explain that a little further in terms of how this relates to the idea of efficiency and effectiveness? Yeah, I believe that a lot of businesses think it's all about reducing costs, you know, being more efficient, whether you talk about lean or Six Sigma, ISO 9000 initiatives, you know, we've got to do more with less and we've got to bring costs down. But again, because efficiency, there's no such thing as generic efficiency mm -hmm. and it is inextricably linked with what you're willing to pay and what your purpose is, like the automobile example, I think the focus on efficiency also crowds out a focus on value. And value is determined by the customer. And so just a mindless uh, focus on efficiency can actually destroy customer value. Uh, I'll give you a real simple example. If you walk into a Nordstrom, you'll see a piano. And, uh, and you'll hear a piano player. Now, that's not very efficient in terms of the ratio of sales per square foot or profit per square foot because, uh, let's face it, that piano's taking up space where merchandise could be. Mm -hmm. But Nordstrom's willing to make and handle that less efficiency because it creates a better atmosphere, not only for customers, but for the employees of the store. I mean, look, my bosses serenade me every day, <laughs> right? They hire a piano player. Uh, not very efficient incredibly effective sure because when you walk into a Nordstrom and hear the piano you don't you're not confused that you're in a Macy's or something part of this too uh, that I you know a lot of people say in terms of efficiency that well hey computers are more efficient and you know the way we're we're using technology is more efficient what's your argument towards that being different than what we're actually talking about in terms of business and it's not that I'm anti-efficiency Tim I don't want to sure. give yeah. Uh, I don't want to give that uh, message because I do believe you can be efficient with things. And computers is a great example. Technology. We have smartphones. We have computers. We have faster software and printers and, and all of that. And it's wonderful. I would never want to go back. I mean, we're not Luddites. But you can, you can be efficient with things, but you have to be effective with people. I, I don't believe the opposite of love is hate hmm. or even indifference. I actually think it's efficient. Uh, do you want an efficient <laughs> marriage? Uh, you know, I mean, we we repel against efficiency as human beings, sure. right? Kind of, we're, we're, I mean, think about the peacock, even in nature. I mean, here's the peacock with this incredible tail, basically saying, look, I can have this huge tail, which is completely inefficient and still function as a human organ uh, or, or a living thing, even with this inefficient tail. And, and you know, obviously does it to attract mates. And, it, and that works in... in human life too. Otherwise, women would chase truck drivers. Truck, trucks are very expensive, but they have, the problem is they fulfill a utilitarian and efficient purpose, right? Moving things around. But a two-seater sports car in New York demonstrates sparse resources and shows that, hey, I 
I'm, you know, I'm an effective human being and I have all these sparse resources. It's not about efficiency. You know, in reading a lot of the some of the stuff you put down and obviously in our conversation and things I've looked at, there are some concerns clearly and I think they're more long term when you're looking at efficiency and and the focus being taken away from effectiveness. And one of the things I put down is a concern of a lack of innovation. Is that something that you think is an issue if if there's such a focus on this idea of efficiency and not maybe seeing a broader scope? Yes, I, I, I think also just like it crowds out intuition and judgment and, and focus on value, it also uh, can crowd out innovation because by definition, innovation is the antithesis of efficiency. It, because if I'm doing something new or I'm creating something, I'm by almost by definition, I'm going to be inefficient, hmm. right? I mean, think about Google. They, Google gives their technical people 20% time. That means they can spend one day a week working on whatever they want, even if it doesn't fail, even if the idea goes nowhere. Well, that's not very efficient. Sure. They're, they're cutting their efficiency metric by 20% right out of the gate. But yet, that's where they get all their innovation. That's where Gmail and Google Books and Google Earth and a whole host of other, you know, uh, things that they've come up with. That's that's where those ideas come from. So innovation, creativity, learning something new, climbing down the learning curve. That's all very inefficient. But if you don't do that, you're not going to exist as a company. You know, a lot of people would say, especially with these ideas of metrics and ratios, and they would argue, look, we're, we're showing the value. We're, we're showing where the value exists because bottom line numbers and production, that sort of thing. Do you have an argument towards that in terms of... Sure, know, the, the, sure. I mean, the, well, the definition of value for them is, is, a, is a statistical thing, but you're saying clearly there's got to be more to that, right? Yeah. I think the buggy with manufacturers with the apogee of their efficiency curve. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, what happens if you're efficient doing the wrong thing? Sure. Uh, there's a great story of Steve Jobs taking a tour of an IBM plant. This is in the mid-80s, if you can kind of go back into that time period and think about what was happening in the mid-80s. But it was an IBM plant that made uh, uh, dot matrix printers. And it was all automated. You know, It was one of those plants that basically had like you know three people working in it, and there were two dogs there. And the, you know, the, the, the dogs were there. Um, you know, the people were there to feed the dogs and the dogs made sure that the people didn't touch any of the robots. <laughs> uh, it was it was that kind of efficient factory and Jobs was really impressed with it. In fact, he stole a lot of the ideas for his Macintosh factory. And when they asked him, they said, well, Steve, what do you think of our factory? He said, I love it. He goes, too bad you're producing the wrong thing. And like three months later, he came out with the laser writer and that absolutely killed and eliminated the dot matrix market or greatly reduced it. So again, you can be efficient at producing the wrong thing, and no amount of efficiency gains would have saved the buggy whip manufacturers or the slide rule manufacturers or typewriter manufacturers. And that's why I think it's so dangerous to just be so concerned about efficiency because that by definition means you're not doing anything new. You know, maybe this is a little off the board in some way, but you, know, you think about the way in the economy, how it's gone and, and how with businesses. And there's obviously the constant discussion about this type of thing, especially a financial world. Do you see this as being a major contributor to some of the, the concerns and, and issues that have been going on for, for the past five, six years? Yeah, I do. I, I uh, it's certainly part of it. I mean, government is not very uh, well. I don't think government's very efficient or effective. But I don't know if you'd want an efficient government. I'm kind of glad we don't get all the government we pay for. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we could handle it being that at that size. But 
even besides that, if you look at like uh, the financial crisis, I mean, look at the auditing profession. Uh, again, I can speak of this because I'm, you know, recovering CPA. But there's been no innovation in the auditing profession for for a hundred years, and it's because they have a monopoly, um, and and that's why accounting firms are so hell bent on efficiency and you know measuring billable hours and realization rates, all the things that really don't matter to their customers, but that's what they look at internally, and that kind of drives their external position too, uh, and I think that's a big problem. Now, does it depend a little bit on perhaps what industry you're in or, or what you're, I mean, you talk a lot because obviously you, talk, you mentioned the information and, and that being a, obviously the world we live in for the most part, we've gone away from a lot of the, the manufacturing, which obviously is still important and necessary, but does it matter what business, what type of industry in terms of discussing this idea? Does it, does it vary as far as its importance or or maybe the ratio, so to speak, of effectiveness to efficiency? Or do you think it's across the board we need to, to move away a little bit from that efficiency point? I think it's across the board because, again, if you look at the buggy whip manufacturer, you look at any, I mean, all businesses are subject to creative destruction, right? Uh, the famous economist Joseph uh, Schumpeter said, you know, you're standing on a ground that's constantly moving. And if you don't adapt, if you don't change, well, then you're going to be made obsolete. So by definition, you have to invest in tomorrow. You have to come up with new products and services. Uh, and, and that comes from profit. And that comes from, you know, you've got to take that profit and invest it in R&D, innovation. And that's going to, by definition, lower your efficiency. I mean, that's what Google does with this 20%. 3M does it. They, they I think it's 15% in 3M. Hmm. Gore-Tex does it. I mean, if you, hey, Apple certainly does it. I mean, knowledge workers, people who innovate, uh, you know, they don't work to the rhythms and cadences of an assembly line. Right. You go into an R&D team and point at them at in 8 in the morning and go, have a good idea by 9 o'clock. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. They need to sit back and dream and create and play. And that doesn't happen if you're hell-bent on efficiency. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And let's talk about that a little bit and bringing these ideas sort of into the workplace. And I know we have to speak in generalities a bit because everybody's situation is different. But what tips are, do you give to managers, employers, supervisors overall in terms of helping emphasize effectiveness? And you gave it just a brief example there of instead of, hey, come up with an idea in an hour, giving some space, give some time. What What's some advice, some guidance you can give to really you know, emphasize and encourage the idea of effectiveness versus getting it done fast and, and maybe not as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think if you're, and especially if you're dealing with knowledge workers right. who obviously work with their brains and not their, their brawn, uh, it's one thing if you've, you know, got people on an auto assembly line. But even then, you still need, you still need to give people the freedom and autonomy, if you will, to, to, to figure out ways to do things better try new things. Because if, if all we're doing is perfecting a, a one process over and over and over to make it much more efficient, well, maybe there's a completely better way to do it. Or maybe it doesn't even need to be done at all because it's not adding value anywhere. Mm. But all of those questions get missed if all we're looking if, if the only thing on our radar screen is the efficiency ratios. So I think if you look at uh, like Google, the 20% time, if you look at environments like the results only work environment, I don't know if you've ever uh, had a show about that, but that's a, you know, the best buy innovation of results only work environment where basically they tell people, look, we're only going to hold you accountable for results. Uh, 
And that's the other problem with efficiency because it's an output-input ratio. You know, I'm, I'm up here in wine country in Northern California. The winemakers here have a great saying. It's easier to count the bottles than to describe the wine. Hmm. Because the input, I can count the grapes and, you know, all of the costs of making the wine, but that doesn't help me assess it. Hmm. It doesn't help me rank it or, or determine whether or not I like it, let alone value it. So then and you talked a little bit about the idea of autonomy a little bit and, and allowing people to create that sort of thing. Is there a difficulty there if you're just an employee and, and you want to approach your your, your manager and, and maybe help foster this a little bit? I mean, how would you recommend that if someone feels like, hey, I'm not being as effective as I can be in what, you, what you're paying me to do because of the focus elsewhere? I mean, how, how do you play that dance? Yeah, I think you kind of, if you're an employee, make the case to your boss that, look, you know, the whole goal here for any business is output, not inputs. Hmm. And and if if you think there's a better way to do something, even if in the short run it's it's going to be less efficient, you've got to kind of make that case because you by arguing that hey the customer's willing to pay more for this, or I think we'll add more value in the long run. And so I think there's a lot of ways a lot of ways to to do it um, as long as you have an enlightened boss. And in my experience, just uh, posting that article on LinkedIn and seeing all the comments. Uh, you know, people were coming back saying, well, what you can measure, you can manage, you know, and they, they're kind of in that that uh, metric mentality, that Frederick Taylor scientific, you know, we got to right. watch on everybody. And, and, and I just think that's very, very destructive because we humans repel against that. <laughs> we really do. Uh, I mean, I, I, how would you know if was Einstein efficient, <laughs> you know? Who cares? Yeah, I have no idea, but yeah, <laughs> probably doesn't matter. And, and, and the other problem with it is, I mean, look at how we we uh, judge the efficiency of a not-for-profit. We look at the ratio of the money that they're given and then compared to the money that goes to the cause, right? So it's a way to back out their overhead. Mm. You know, if you're not spending 80 or 90% on the cause, you're deemed as not efficient. Well, let's pretend the thought experiment for a moment that Jonas Salk's polio lab, you know, came up with the cure for polio, but let's pretend that he spent uh, 80% on overhead. Would you care if he cured polio? Yeah, not, not at that point. <laughs> so that's why efficiency can be blown out of the water by effectiveness. Um, you know, because if it was all about efficiency, your kids would be home right now watching Snow White and the Three Dwarfs, <laughs> because that would have been much more efficient for Walt Disney to make. You know, he had three million hand-drawn animated cells to do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But if he had efficiency experts around him, they said, well, you know, Walt, you need to get this movie in the theater, start producing money, pay off the debt. Why don't you just do Three Dwarfs? Uh, and, and that certainly would have been more efficient from an output-input ratio. Mm -hmm. But, you know, watching the two little pigs just doesn't have the same same vibe to it. Well, and I think that also speaks to, as you mentioned, the idea of efficiency and technology because now, obviously, that probably wouldn't be as much a concern because of the ability to turn things around and, you know, computer animation. But, as you mentioned there, they're, they're, it was effective for a different reason, not because they're, they're whipping it out that quickly. Yeah, you know, that brings up a great point, Tim. If you look at Pixar... Uh, how long it takes Pixar to do a movie. You know, they don't, they, their movies take a bit more because they put a lot into it. Mm -hmm. I read about 
two animators at Pixar that when they were working, I think it was Finding Nemo, and they, they read about a, this, this beached whale, this whale had uh, washed up on the beach. These guys, you know, drove, drove over to the beach an hour and a half, two hours away from their office to climb in the whale. So they make the scenes more uh, realistic. Now, that's not very efficient. It is, however, highly effective. And a little insane, to be honest with you. It, it is a little insane. But, I agree. But it does make sense. I mean, hey, you want to get the best product out there. Exactly. Now, we are getting low on time, so I, I just wanted to sort of give you the floor. You're speaking to business owners, CEOs, managers, you know, anyone really in the, in the place of, of business and in, in the world of business. What's your best best pitch to them in terms of not worrying so much about efficiency and in moving forward, creating more of that value amongst you know your organization and with the product, whether it be knowledge based you know and information, which is a lot of what we're really gearing it towards. How do they get to that point? What's your best pitch? <laughs> I would say you know stop believing, stop running around with this paradigm that we live in in uh, with efficient markets. We don't have efficient markets. We have cool markets. I believe markets do really cool things like produce iPads and, you know, new products. And it's not all about efficiency. If it was about efficiency, we wouldn't have never built a Golden Gate Bridge. We would have just put a military bridge in there. Hmm. But, but a Golden Gate Bridge is much more aesthetically pleasing to the eye. And so worry about innovation. Worry about creating a tomorrow. Uh, and, and that is going to, by definition, take much more effectiveness than efficiency because you've, you've got to give up some efficiency to be able to create tomorrow, give people time to dream, give people time to think, try new things. When you go to school and you learn something new or you learn a new skill on the job, you're not going to be very efficient, at least not as you're learning that skill. You're, but over time, you're going to climb down the learning curve. Uh, and I'd also say, look, stop listening to your CFO. <laughs> people they they live their life in the past i mean they're like historians with bad memories you know the they they come in after the war and bayonet the wounded with their financial statements knowledge is about the past but entrepreneurship and innovation is about the future and by definition you can't be efficient at something that you've never done before and that's why the the quest for efficiency above all else is so dangerous because in a world of, of nothing but efficiency, it would be like the Soviet Union and socialism would work. We wouldn't need innovation, but by definition, innovation and creativity takes us by surprise, and it should. And that's what we humans love, and that's why we don't like efficiency. Well, Ron, I don't think there's a, a way to punctuate that. Uh, I, I appreciate your, your candor and, and really laying it all out there, and uh, that's uh, definitely... Definitely a reason we came to you, and, and I kind of seen that you, you had that demeanor, and that's, uh, it's appreciated at this level just to, just to hear those things and you know, hear something different than maybe, as you said, maybe people are seeing all the time or, or reading about. And um, again, we appreciate your perspective. Definitely would probably, uh, be interested in having you on again. Uh, if people want to reach you or find out about your work, where could they, where could they go for that? They can go to www.verisage, which is V as in Victor, E-R-A-S-A-G-E, Com. Uh, and if they want more on this particular topic, I've actually written a book called uh, Measure What Matters to Customers, and that would go into this topic in much more detail. All right, Ron, again, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks for having me, Tim. Again, that's our guest, Ron Baker, founder of Verisage Institute. 
And uh, again, a thank you to our listeners as well. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm Tim Yuma, and remember, nobody's perfect, so please watch your step.